Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message. That last song was incredibly appropriate for today. Um, because oftentimes, it's really easy when, when life is good and life is easy and, man, things are coming up our way. It's really easy to talk about how good God is and, you know, talk about all of his wonderful qualities and all of the things that, um, that he does for us. But what I love about that song is it, it talks about that is who you are. And we can pray that and we can sing that even when that's really hard to believe and maybe hard to see in that moment. Because oftentimes faith is difficult. Faith is hard. If, if it weren't, we wouldn't need faith. So uh, we're going to be in Psalm 42 and 43 today. And um, if you've been a Christian for a very long time, you've probably experienced spiritual depression at one point or another. It, it, it's a common, a common thing, and we'll, we'll talk about a few different types in just a second. But for us to feel this moment of, you know, oftentimes we, we see new believers, and maybe when we become new believers, it's, it's over the top, and man, you're, just, you're ready for anything. You're like, you know, Lord, send, send me wherever. I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, I'm here for it. Like, you want to talk about it? And then all of a sudden, life happens again. And we begin to kind of come off that, that, that mountain, and um, we kind of begin to maybe go back to where we were, or maybe we experience something difficult, and life kind of sets us back. So spiritual depression is not something that, that, that no one has dealt with. We've all dealt with it, but oftentimes it comes with moments of loneliness and moments of, uh, of not understanding why. But the thing that we have to understand is that spiritual depression is never the end of our spiritual journey. It's never the end of our spiritual journey. Life is filled with peaks and life is filled with valleys. And we experience that, those from time to time, but it's not the end of our journey. We have to understand three truths today. The first truth is this, that what we feel does not determine whether or not God is faithful. Your feelings and your emotions do not determine whether or not God is faithful. Your opinion on God does not determine who God is or what he does. The second thing is circumstances will change, but God does not. We all, we all have changing circumstances. Maybe, uh, maybe that's having uh, a child in the case of what uh, we've just experienced. Maybe that's moving somewhere else. Maybe that's going from high school to college or for college into the workplace or changing jobs or uh, the, the death of a spouse. Whatever that is, circumstances change, but God does not. What God says is true and what is true about God is true whether or not our circumstances are to our liking or not. And the third thing is that hope believes even when we don't. Even when it's hard for us to believe, when we can't possibly see what purpose this momentary affliction serves, hope believes even when we don't. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So there has to be faith. If everything were good all the time, we wouldn't really need faith, Right? If we committed to the Lord and it was like, oh, everything, listen, everything's going to come up you. Anything you want in this life, you immediately get. Why would we need faith? So in moments of difficulty, faith is, is where faith is tested. It's where we begin to ask ourselves questions of, man, do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I really think God is good in these moments? 
So Psalm 42 and 43, um, these two go together. Uh, some transcripts have them as one continuous psalm, and once we read them, you'll definitely see how uh, that appears to be the case. Um, some people say that David wrote it, and when we read it, it's very easy to see where that's the case. Where, where it could parallel with a lot of what David experienced in life. Some people say that the sons of Korah wrote it. Again, also the case. We have to remember scripture, number one, scripture was not written about us. Scripture was written for us. So when we read this, we can see our lives in this as well. Number two, all truth is God's truth. So whether it was David, whether it was the sons of Korah, if you want to come talk to me after about that and tell me your theories, your evidence, that's fine. I promise you. I've looked over and over it this week. It's one or the other. And at the end of the day, truth is, all truth is God's truth. God's preserved this passage for us to teach us so it doesn't make it any more or any less real. And we see where the, uh, the author has this moment of um, this inner conflict where we see that his, the sense of his flesh and the faith of his soul um, are kind of going back and forth and kind of fighting. And where we see the sense of his flesh is saying, man, this is what it feels like. And his soul is saying, well, no, that's, that's not the case. It's this arguing, it's this inner monologue. And the fact is, we all, we all have that within us, right? Now, we don't often write it down to where we are arguing with ourselves. Maybe you do. Maybe that's the way you do things. But we see this moment where in this passage, the author's going back and forth. And it's the, his flesh versus his spirit. And another thing we have to understand this, and I want you to keep this in the back of your mind for this entire, uh, for this entire time we are together today. The writer's circumstances do not get better. The writer's circumstances don't get better. They change a little bit, but they change for the worse. At the very least, they stay the same throughout. The circumstances don't change, but his view on said circumstances and on God do. So, verse 42, or Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. One of the most famous passages, maybe other than Psalm 23 of Psalms, of the Psalms begins here. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, Lord. Lord, oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of the God with glad shouts and songs of praises, a multitude-keeping festival. So in this section, in these verses, we see where God, he only addresses God once. The rest, he's reminiscing about where he is in life. He's reminiscing about the times where things were good or the things were what he wanted them to be. And it's important to note, this is not a sudden moment of crisis, we can call this what he's talking about a drought. We've heard about, you know, a spiritual drought or maybe a drought in life. Um, it's a time where he's not feeling God's presence like he used to. And his, his vicinity uh, to God in these moments is what gives him his joy and gives him his purpose. But spiritually, he feels distant. He doesn't feel that closeness. And again, he's not eating. He's saying that, you know, my tears are what I eat day and night. That's all I have. And those tears are not only coming from a distance from God, but they're coming from the loss of comfort and relief that comes from a closeness with God. Even further, he's separated from the ones he loves. He's separated from those who encourage him. He's surrounded by people who aren't offering him hope, who aren't encouraging him, but rather people who are just kind of hopeless, who are just offering hopelessness. 
He's made his allegiance with the Lord clear. All of them know where he stands. All of them know what he believes. And now those surrounding him who don't share his love for God are seeing his crisis of faith. They know his faith, but they also see his circumstances. So he's saying, God is faithful. And they're saying, okay, well, where is he? God is good, really? Because it doesn't look like it. They're asking, where is your God? The writer, whether, whether it was a son of Korah, whether it was David, is a musician. Like both of them were musicians who, who, who wrote songs to God and who other people would perform them and sing them. And there was a celebration. He's reminiscing on this time to where they would sing these songs and lead the processions into the house of God. And they would celebrate together. And he was surrounded by community and these people who felt the same way and were excited about the same thing and were pointing to God and pursuing God together. And there's this moment where he sees that that's gone. He doesn't have people who are elevating him. He has people who are just, okay, all right. Where is your God then? And he's seeing this moment. He's remembering these moments, not as a time when God was faithful, but he's remembering these moments as just a a great time in the past. Now, again, the focus of this celebration was the Lord, But also there was this joy that came along with this sense of community, and he's lost that. He doesn't have that anymore. He's looking at it as a a moment that's gone, not as a time of God's faithfulness, not as he's not drawing strength from it, but he's looking at it as something lost. But then we see in the next verse, in verse 5, we see this moment, and we will see this exact uh, word, these exact words come three times in these two psalms. And he challenges his own soul. He speaks to himself in this moment. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, and I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's kind of a violent turn, isn't it? Like, again, this moment of, man, I remember what was. I remember what I was experiencing. I remember the people. I remember their faces. I remember the songs. I remember all this. And then it's like he snaps and begins talking to himself. He's not wallowing in self-pity. He challenges the very feelings that he's experiencing. He questions himself, and he doesn't take his feelings at face value, but rather asks himself, so what reason do you have to be cast down? What reason do you have to feel this way? Place your hope in God because he's not failed you yet. What changes now? We've been here before, and we've seen where we've come out of it. And it's this battle that we often have within us to where it's the battle of what we know to be true versus what we feel. And I say know to be true, not what we feel to be true, but what we know to be true. Because oftentimes the people who in our lives who we know who have the most self-destructive tendencies are the ones who trust themselves more than anyone else. I know my gut. I have a gut feeling and I pursue that gut feeling. I go after it. This is why Paul tells us in the New Testament to take every thought captive. It's why Solomon tells us to not lean on our understanding. Our perception is not always accurate of our situation. We are not always 100% right about situations. But God is. And God does see those situations. And because of that, I have to hold on to truth. And truth is from God. I have to hold on to what God says because that's the only truth that I know to be solid. That's my foundation. 
That's what I hold on to. And it's important to challenge our soul. It's important to challenge how we feel. And again, oftentimes in, in moments of drought, we become, we become lethargic and we become apathetic. And it's not that we're outright rebelling against God and you know, angry, but we just say, you know what? This is my situation and it is what it is. I'll still go to church. I'll still say the right things. I'll still listen to the right music. You know, I'll, I'll still do all of those things, but this is my situation and it is what it is. We can't be satisfied with that. We have to commit to weighing our reasons of discouragement against our reasons for encouragement. We have to weigh our circumstances against the truth of God's promises. We have to put those up against each other. And again, that often means challenging what we feel in the moment. Even if it's a deep, strong feeling. Even if it's, man, I, I, just, I, I trust myself and I just have this feeling. Okay, well, your feeling can be wrong. It has been. Stand on the truths of the Lord. The writer moves on to verses six, to verse six. We're gonna call this, if the other one was a drought, we're gonna call this the depths. So it's not, it's not just kind of a moment of apathy and maybe lethargy and I just don't feel God like I used to. This is, this is crisis. He says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound to my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say all the day long, where is your God? So there's this shift in this, this second passage to where he does begin, to, he still talks about his circumstances and how he feels, but he talks much more to God. He directs those feelings to the Lord. And the problem is, is as he begins to lean into God, as we see in this, is it's much more evident that he's leaning into the Lord and leaning into God's promises, but his situation has gotten much heavier so with the reference to the mountains and to, to Hermon and Mount Mazara, this is, this is a distance from Jerusalem. This is a distance from where the house of God is. And again, remember, part of their job, whether it was David or a son of Korah, was to write music in that place and to serve there. So their distance from it. Some, some scholars even say that um, Mazar actually means like little mountain or smaller hill. So in that direction of where it is toward Hermon on this, some people say that maybe this is the last place you can see the mountains that you could see from Jerusalem and that familiar sight, maybe, but it would make sense, right? Of seeing, man, I feel distance. I can see the distance. I can see the vast gap between what, what is comfortable and what is easy and what, is, what makes me feel better. He's not at his home. He, again, so now it's not only a spiritual distance he's feeling, it's a physical distance from what feels safe and comfortable. This is a drastic change in circumstances. This isn't just a, a funk that we often get in. This is, man, a lot of things in my life have changed. A lot of what I've used to seeing, a lot of what used to bring me comfort has changed. And to go even further, the trials that he is currently experiencing, they feel crushing. It feels like he's drowning. If in, if in the last passage, again, he's sitting there in, you know, in the middle of an ocean with a floaty, just kind of floating like there's nothing around. In this one, he's gasping for air. 
He's losing his footing. He has no sense of direction. He has no sense of when it's ending or you know, what's next. None of this. In fact, deep calls to deep. It's reminiscent of Genesis 1-2 when we read that the Spirit hovered over the deep. And it's this lack of purpose, this lack of foundation. He's not only dealing with being exhausted, but it's smothering. He's lost, broken, aimless, and there's nothing giving him rest. In fact, Jonah would borrow from this language later when he was talking about being overthrown into the ocean during the storm of just kind of rolling in the water and you can't tell which way is up and you can't tell what's next and you don't know when that next gasp of air is going to happen. But despite all this, there is a shift in his tone. It still feels like the above, but he begins to focus on what he knows, not what he feels. He begins to stand on the promises of God. See, it feels like God is distant and absent. But the writers know that's not the truth because he's, re- he's referencing God. He's talking to God more. He's bringing the way he feels to the Lord even more. He calls God his rock and asks God, why have you forgotten me? And again, think, think in your mind of, and we've all seen movies like this or whatever it is where it's a rushing river and you know, you're, the person's coming up and then they keep getting slammed down and they, they have this rock and they grab this rock and they hang on with everything within them as the water rushes by. It's not, it's not relaxing and it's not restful, but it is slightly comforting. It is salvation. It is keeping you from going down. I can hang on to that. I can keep my head above water. So he calls God his rock and he asks him, why have you forgotten me? You see, he's not accusing God of not being present because if God weren't present, he, he, he wouldn't speak. But he's just not, he doesn't know God's timing. He doesn't know why God isn't working quicker. God, why have you forgotten me? Why aren't you working quicker? And again, oftentimes we can say and we know God's timing is better, but that is much easier uh, said than believed, right? He's trusting in God's timing. And then we see this refrain come back from verse 5. Word for word, 100%, it is the exact same. He challenges his soul again. So remember, he's not quite in the same place that he was. Now he's in this moment of crisis, but he is praying more to the Lord. And he comes back and says again, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see the same thing. We see see where he says the same thing. Now, the believers are still there. In fact, the believers are still taunting him. They're no longer just saying, man, where is your God? But now it's they're actively seeking him out. They're actively trying to undercut him. Where's your God? Where's your, you know, maybe, maybe he's gone. Maybe he's there. Maybe he just isn't answering you. Where is your God? It's taunting But the psalmist is not the only one who does this. We see Jesus did this right before his crucifixion when he was praying in the garden. In Matthew 26, it literally says he went back and he prayed, saying the same words again. You see, to know God is not a once-in-a-lifetime action. Like we talk about the moment of salvation. It's not like, oh, I committed, I'm good, great, I'm out. No, it's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's a constant pursuit to know more and more and to grow closer to the Lord. 
Because as, as difficult as this may be to hear, and again, I'm not trying to be negative, but where we talked about that sense of our flesh and the faith of our soul, those two things will always be at odds with one another. Throughout life, no matter how long you've been a Christian, those two things will always be at odds with one another and go back and forth. This is why Jesus tells us to take up, take up our cross how often? Daily. Daily. Not take up your cross, have a good one, everything's good. No, take up our cross daily, constantly. Every day commit to him. Every day die to ourselves and commit to the Lord. Because the fact is, our pride increases the distance between us and God. Now maybe, maybe that pride comes in the form of uh, having confidence in our own abilities. Well, I can handle this situation on my own. Maybe it comes with, you know, you're in that moment of frustration. You're in that moment of sadness and you say, well, you know what? I believe that I deserve to feel the way that I feel. I can do what I want. I deserve this. Or maybe if we look back earlier, maybe you struggle with always trusting your gut and doing what you feel. But the fact is our pride severs our dependence on God. Um, and we still, I still hear this term occasionally, but when I was younger, you would hear about people rededicating their life to God. And what that typically meant was someone who had fallen out of church and maybe had experienced some, some difficulty and made some wrong choices, and but they've recommitted to the Lord, they've recommitted to the church. Well, the fact is we're called to rededicate ourselves daily to God. Every single day. We must recommit ourselves to truth, to this truth that God is for us and God is with us. God wants what's best for us. And finally, we get to the final passage, and this is Psalm 43. And we see this, I mean, talk about a turnaround. Talk about a moment where everything has changed. Talk about where a mentality has been flipped on its head. We hear his tone shift, and again, from, you know, Lord, I just, I'm, I'm desperate I'm just desperate for a little, uh, like some interaction with you, God. I remember what used to be, and I miss that. And we've moved to, you know, and it moved to, God, I don't know why this is happening, and I'm just doing my best. And this tone completely changes. He says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God. There's this shift. Every verse in this, with the exception of the last one, he's looking to the Lord. He's addressing God. He's speaking to him. Again, his circumstances have not changed. Where he is in life has not changed. But his mentality has, his focus has. It's no longer, I miss what used to be or I hate what's happening now. Instead, he is pursuing his joy in the Lord and he's taking steps to reassure himself of who God is and what God does. Vindicate me, Lord. Again, remember it was, God is, you know, God is faithful. Okay, where is he? God is faithful. No, he's not. Look at where you're at. You're crazy. 
But now it's God is faithful and he is here. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter their taunts. It doesn't matter, you know, their discouragement. God is here. It's the assurance of things hoped for. He is sure of who God is and that God is present. We see that in, uh, we see that in verse uh, two that we have, it basically repeats 42 verse nine with the exception of one change and that's the very beginning and what he compares God to. He says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. So no longer is he referring to God uh, as, as his rock. Again, it's not, it's not the imagery of hanging onto a rock in the middle, of an, or the middle of a river going, I don't know what's next. I don't know how I get out of this, but in this moment, I, at least I know I'm not going further down the river. God is my refuge. God is my refuge. God is a safe place where I can not only breathe, but I can rest. I can be rejuvenated. We see the writer's confidence in the Lord increasing. We see that assurance in him. But he is still human. We see the same exact question again. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? You see, it's not that he's hit full contentment. He's not saying, you know, he's not saying, man, you know, God, I don't... Why is, you know, he's, he's not quite, he's questioning God's timing, but there's a contentment there within it. God, you're my refuge. You give me rest. I don't fully understand why this is happening. I don't fully understand why you haven't saved me from it yet, but you're my refuge. And then he moves on to a simple request. A simple request. Everything that we've read points to this moment. His request is simple. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling. Let them lead me. You see, the writer understands that there's going to have to be some work involved. There's going to have to, some, have to be some effort on his part. He's not saying, whisk me up and take me back. No, Lord, let him lead me. It's a commitment to make choices that lead back to God. You see, God gives us free will, and it's incredible. God wants us to choose him, and he does everything in his power to show us that he is who he is. But at the end of the day, we have that choice. We can make that choice in the same way that we can make the choice of whether to base our happiness on our circumstances or base it on the truths of the Spirit, we can make the choices to pursue God even when it's difficult, to have faith even when it's hard. He's not asking, Lord, change my circumstances, or Lord, make everything like it used to be. No, he's just simply saying, Lord, your light and your truth, let them lead me. Let them lead me back to your presence. It's complete and total submission to God. It's submission number one to God's will. It's him saying uh, what God wants is best. Which again, if you're a Christ follower, nobody would really argue with that. Even in times of crisis, like, man, what God wants is best. I don't fully understand it. It's frustrating, but what God wants is best. Again, that's kind of the base of faith, baseline of faith. It's a submission to God's timing. When God wants it is best. And again, that doesn't mean that it's easy for him right now. Again, he asked that same question. But it's, man, when God, wants what is, when God wants this to happen, that's when it's best. It's an assumption that it will happen. And finally, 
It's a submission to God's understanding. Why God did it is best. And this is the hard one. This is difficult. Because oftentimes in life, when we go through difficulties, we can look back and go, oh, I fully understand what God was preparing me for. I fully understand why God did what he did. I fully understand it. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes in this life, we never find out why God did what he did. We never find out why God allowed to happen what he allowed to happen. And this is where faith comes in. God, I don't understand it. I may never understand it, but God, at the end of the day, I trust you. And it goes back to the submission to God's will. I know what God wants is best. You see, the writer asked the Lord to change his focus and his motivation. His focus is no longer to get away from, you know, the mockers and get away from those who are discouraging him and get back to, you, you know, God's house and to where he can hear the songs and he can sing the songs and back to where he's comfortable. That's no longer why, what he's doing. You see, when we fully pursue the Lord, our spiritual contentment is no longer based on our circumstances, but rather our confidence in who God is. When we fully surrender to God, when we fully submit to his will and what he wants for us, it doesn't matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter what I'm experiencing. What matters is who God is and what he wants. You see, we don't make decisions based on getting where we want to go. I don't make decisions over, well, will this advance me in my career? Or, well, well, is this what's best financially? Or is this, what, is this what makes the most sense in this moment? That's not what we make decisions off of. I make decisions over what God says is best, over what the Holy Spirit is pointing me in that direction, over that pursuit of God's light and God's truth. And then in verse five, we see that same refrain that we've seen twice already. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Once again, he repeats it, but this time he's speaking of a place of assurance. It's not like, he, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily trying to convince himself. It seems like he's telling himself. His, there's confidence behind it. It's no longer, you know, man, you know, come on, come on. So why do you believe this? You know God's good. It feels this way. No, it's saying no. It doesn't make sense the way you're feeling. It doesn't make sense. Your circumstances don't dictate whether God loves you. God's promises dictate whether he loves us. And as hope returns, he knows his tendencies. So at the end of that, those verses, we can see where he's on the upswing, where he's more optimistic about God is, but he knows where he's been. And he knows his tendencies. He knows that it would be very easy for him to slide back into that place. So what does he do? He challenges his soul. You see, a lot of times when things start to look up in life, when things start to get better, we begin to live in this, this bliss in life. We begin to live um, in, in not quite as much a pursuit of God as much as we just kind of want to camp out where we are because life feels good and it feels easy. But just because we feel that life is better or that life is okay or that life is even great, we cannot stop our pursuit of God. Because God's allowance doesn't mean God's acceptance. God lets us make choices. God lets us make choices to do the things that we want to do. And sometimes those may give us that temporary satisfaction. Or that may make us feel like, man, I'm nailing it. 
Man, I'm doing well. But we can't make the mistake of thinking that just because what the world deems successful is happening to us, that that's what God's called us to do. Because success in the world's eyes does not mean success in God's. Remember, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do it. We must continuously seek God's best. We have to ask God for his light and for his truth to guide us. We have to pursue God's glory and trust his word and allow his word to guide us. What scripture says is truth. Regardless of how I feel, what scripture says is truth. Regardless of what I feel like is justified, what scripture says is truth. That might mean that we're giving up what our flesh has and has always wanted to pursue what God has for us. Maybe, again, I know a lot of your stories. I don't know all of them. Maybe you say, look, I grew up, we didn't have a lot. I want to give my family a lot. I want to make sure that not only do we have what we need, but we have more than that. Okay? What if God calls you away from that security? What if God calls you away from that? Man, you know, Blake, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to pursue this particular degree because I want to do this thing. It's what I've wanted ever since I was a kid. It's what I've always wanted. Okay. What if God's called you to something else completely? Not saying that, you know, your first decision that you go into college with or, or that you want to study is wrong. It was in my case, but, but what is God calling you to do in life? Maybe God's put that passion within you and you're called to serve him with that, or with that passion. God gives us gifts. God gives us passions and we're called to serve him in those passions. But we've got to understand our recommitment to God isn't a vehicle to make us feel better. Our, recomm- our commitment to God is to do what God has created us to do. Not what I want to do, not what makes me the most money, not what gives me temporary joy, but to do what God's called me to do, to reach the people God's called me to reach. So we began today with three spiritual truths. Number one, what we feel does not determine whether or not God is faithful. Number two, circumstances will change, but God does not. And number three, hope believes even when we don't. So when we have those moments of spiritual depression, I want to give you three actions to take. Three actions to take to do in those moments of spiritual depression where you just feel, maybe it's, again, maybe you're on this, on this spectrum from just kind of apathy, like you're just kind of satisfied where you are. It's not great, but it's not bad. Or maybe you're in a moment where you're like, man, I just don't know. I don't know what's next. Take these three actions. Remember, your flesh will always be at war with your soul. The spirit within you will always be at war with your flesh, and your flesh tries to convince you of one thing, and your soul knows what is the truth. Number one, take hold of yourself. That final refrain, all three of these things are within that. What's the first thing he asks himself? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Ask yourself, in moments of spiritual depression, are my circumstances more important to me than God? Do I value comfort more than I value my creator? Do I value what I want, what I think is best, what is best 
in my opinion, over what God knows is best, what God created me to do. Number two, do what must be done. The second thing he asks in that refrain, again, repeated three times, he says, hope in God. Hope in God. So ask yourself this question. And again, be brutally honest with yourself. Where is my hope? Is my hope in my job? Is my hope in the money I make? Better yet, is my hope in my family? Is my hope in my ministry? Is my hope in what people say about me? Is my hope in my standing in my community? Or is my hope in my creator? Is my hope in Christ? Is my hope in the Lord? And finally, and whether, whether things are awesome or whether things are meh, remind yourself of who God is. Again, three times he says, I shall praise, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The one who has saved me and the one who's created me. So ask yourself this question. If God has always been faithful, if God has always been faithful in every single situation, every moment God has been faithful, will he be this time? Why wouldn't he be? see, regardless of your circumstances, we must trust that God is for us. God wants what is best for us. That doesn't mean giving us what we want. That doesn't mean me saying, God, here's all my requests, and him saying, here's everything that you want. It means that God wants what is best for us, even when we can't see that, even when we don't understand it, even when it feels like nothing is for us, we can have assurance that God is. So ask yourself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then tell yourself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for assurance, God, Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the moments, God, when we see your faithfulness, for the moments we can look back and see where you've been faithful, where you've done um, what you said you would do. God, thank you for the times when we've walked through difficult times, we've walked through valleys, and then we can look back on those moments and see how you were working. And we can look back on those moments and see how you were teaching us and you were preparing us and you were showing us what we needed to do next. But God, also thank you for the times when when maybe we've walked through those valleys and we didn't know why. Maybe we've walked through those difficult times, but we don't understand why you allowed to happen what happened. Because God, those are the times we build our faith. Those are the times that we trust in you more. Those are the times that we grow closer to you. So God, wherever, wherever each person here is at, God, maybe, maybe they're they're closer to you than they've ever been and life is so good and life is wonderful and everything is, is great and there's so much contentment there. God, I pray that for that person, I pray that they continue to pursue you. They continue to learn more about you. They continue to trust in your spirit and your faithfulness and your truths. God, for the person who is 
maybe at the end of their rope and they say, I just don't understand. I just don't know why. I've done everything I feel like is best. I've done everything that it seems like I thought I should do, but, but I've got nothing left. I'm exhausted. God, for that person, I pray that you give them peace. Give them the peace that only you can give. God, give them rest. Show them that you're, you're not just a rock to hang on to in times of, of conflict. And God, you're certainly not, uh, not our God who just leaves us out in the middle of the cold to, to figure it out. But God, you're a refuge. You're a refuge that we, can take, uh, that we can take comfort in, that we can rest in, that we can rest knowing that, God, we were not made for this world, that we were made to serve you, that our only place that we can find fulfillment is you. The only person in who we can find contentment and fulfillment and purpose is you. God, it's not within the walls of a church building. God, it's not within the families that you bless us with, but God, it is you. So I pray you give us the faith today to continue going. Lord, we don't need to see our... we don't need to see the end. We don't need to see the destination. God, give us the faith to take the next step. Give us the faith to pursue you. God, guide us with your light and your truth in everything we do. God, we are so, so grateful. God, help us to remember the, the times in the past when you've provided for us, not as just good times and not as just, um, you know, times where we felt uh, rest, but God, it's times where you were faithful because you are faithful because your truth is truth. It is the only truth that we can lean into. God, help us not depend on ourselves, depend on our gut feelings or depend on what others are telling us, but God, may we seek you in everything we do. God, may your spirit guide us. May your word guide us. May in everything we do, we pursue you wholeheartedly. When we lead our families, when we go to work, when we, talk, when we talk to our kids, as we, whatever we do, God, as we, as we spend time with friends, whatever we do, God, lead us. You give us opportunities. I just pray, God, that you show them to us. May we give you glory in every situation. May we give you glory in every moment, whether it's the worst moment in our lives or the best. God, whether it's, whether it's good or it's bad, God, we know that you are good and you are good in every moment. I'm gonna ask if you, if you just need prayer. If you just want to come to the front and pray, feel free to. If not, you can sit in your seat and pray. But I want to challenge you to to ask God to give you faith. Ask God um, to, to, to lead you with his light and his glory. I encourage you to do the three things, to take hold of yourself Take hold of yourself. Don't trust your own emotion. Don't trust how you're feeling in the moment. I challenge you to do what must be done, even when you don't feel like reading scripture, even when you're frustrated, even when you're tired, to, to, not, to know that that is your flesh. That is the sense of your flesh. That is not your spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit that's telling you that. But to take that moment, take that moment captive to read God's word, to spend time in prayer. And finally, I encourage you just to think about who God is and to remind you yourself of who he is. We, don't, we can't fully know everything about God, but we certainly can't know what we do know about him without spending time in his word, without praying, 
without asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. So if you want to come to the front, we would love to have someone pray with you. I would love to pray with you. If you want to just pray where your seat is, we'll take a moment, we'll do that, and then we'll be dismissed. God, when we feel content, you are good. When we feel chaotic, you are good. When life is great, you are good. When life is bad, you are good. You are good in every situation. Thank you for that. Thank you for being a foundation. Thank you for being what we, uh, the only thing that we can put our hope in. And God, I pray for those who have put their hope in you in this room, as well as those who haven't. God, I pray that we continue to pursue you. I pray that we continue to give our lives to you, not our own pursuits, not what we want, but God, we pursue what your best is. I ask these things in your name. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.